Great to see everyone this morning. Thank you for coming out. I'm Ed Glaze, one of the, the pastors here at the church, and I hear a sound out there. Um, glad you're here uh, this morning. We uh, continue this series of sermons on redeemed love, and um, we're talking about how the nature of love uh, is something that's self-sacrificial. It's uh, not just about emotions. It's about uh, what we do and, and taking time to act in a way that is loving. Even sometimes, well, as we'll discuss in this, this lesson, uh, sometimes when it's very hard. Here now the word of the Lord is found in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the 12th chapter, starting with the ninth verse. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. And do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Know if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their heads. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If y'all don't know it, this is Valentine's weekend. Guys, it's still not too late. And I say guys because it's usually us guys that forget about this. It's not too late to go get those flowers or, or the candy, whatever gift you want to get. Don't be like someone I know that waits till the day after when the candy is half off or the flowers are on sale and, and, then, and then don't purchase those things. No, you know, guys, it's not too late. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. This is Valentine's weekend. We, we talk a lot about love. I, I had a friend in college that, uh, well, he was a kind of a cheapskate. And he would uh, go out on a date and I'd ask him how it went. And a lot of times he'd say something like this, well, she eats too much. <laughs> and, and so you knew that date wasn't going to happen again. And, and on an occasion when he would find a gal that didn't uh, show up to the dinner table with a ladle, and he would, da he would, date, that, he would date that gal a little longer well, you knew when it came around Christmas or her birthday or Valentine's Day, he was going to break up with that gal. The perfect woman in his mind was someone that had a birthday in December or January. So he could date her for several months before he had to break up with her. But, but it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That this fella found a woman that was pretty slender, and she still is to this day. And when it came Valentine's Day... He didn't break up with her. And he stayed with her through Christmas. And he's been with her through 35 birthdays. Mm. Isn't it interesting how love changes our priorities? 
and our perspective, doesn't it? Well, as we talk about redeemed love, we see how love changes our priorities, our perspective, and it causes us, well, to, to do some hard things. You know, as we we're looking at this, the scripture text. I don't know how it is in your Bible, but my Bible has a heading on it, marks of a true Christian. I said, oh my goodness, if this is what it means to be a true Christian, I'm in trouble. I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble. You know, get me back to that Old Testament where I'm just having to worry about the Ten Commandments. I mean, all these things that Paul talks about, I mean, this is pretty hard stuff. And as we uh, look at all these verses here in this 12th chapter, which is a chapter about building community, you know, you might hear a sermon series on just these, these verses. I mean, there's a lot there. But we're just going to talk about the ones that apply specifically uh, to loving, okay? Because there's, there's all sorts of things that I just read to you. And, and it, it starts out from the very beginning. Paul says, let your love be genuine. Let your love be genuine. In the original Greek, there's no verb there. It says agape unhypocritical. Agape unhypocritical. I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases this. It says, don't just say you love people. Really love them. Truly love them. It's interesting, isn't it? Agape love. We, we've talked about the nature of agape earlier, but let me refresh your memory just a bit. Agape is a word that is in the Greek language, and it's not often used in classical Greek. The, the Greeks didn't use it as a, a term that the Christians would later uh, adapt it to being. It was just, a, a, you know, an indifferent type of love. You know, they're, they're very uh, different words in the Greek language for love. There's eros, romantic love. There's storge, which is a, a familiar love. There's philius, which is a friendship love. But there's this, this notion in the Greek language of this agape love. And they said that's kind of a different type of love. Well, the New Testament, the, the, the early Christians picked up this word and they said, no, this agape love is a word that we're going to take over and describe it as the love of what God has for all of us. It's a self-sacrificial, self-giving, a love that doesn't think of its own self, but is always giving and always willing to think of the other's needs first. So when we talk about having a genuine love, we're talking about basing our love then on this agape love of God as offered to us in Jesus Christ. It is a love that thinks of others prior to self. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when we think about loving in church, we, well, what does that mean? You know, because oftentimes when we think about living together as life, as Christians in a church, we think about, well, being nice. Yeah, let's be nice to each other. And, you know, in this day and time, when there's so much meanness going on, so much divisiveness, and so much people yelling at each other, even in, in some congregations, being nice ain't a bad thing. But the text doesn't say, let your niceness be genuine. It says, let your love be genuine. What's that mean? How do we live that out? Well, earlier in the chapter, Paul says, present yourself as living sacrifices. 
Present yourself as living sacrifices. Does that mean that we're supposed to chop off our fingers and, you know, lop off an ear? Things that we just don't need anymore. Just hand these things over. Well, obviously not. But maybe metaphorically, if your sister needs an ear that will listen compassionately, you give it. If your brother needs a helping hand, you lend it. If someone needs a back to tote a load, you give it. If someone needs some feet to walk with you on a hard journey, you offer those things. Maybe this living sacrifice is what Paul is talking about here. A description of a loving church is given at the end of the second chapter of Acts. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, we know the second chapter of Acts is the, is the story when the Holy Spirit comes down upon uh, those first believers and they get this unbelievable power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world and, and people flock to the church. But at the end of that chapter, it describes what the church is like. And it says things like this, no one held anything to themselves. They held everything in common. If anyone had anything in, in need, People gladly gave it. In fact, folks would even sell their possessions to make sure that someone in the life of the church had all that they needed just to get by in that day. And then at the end it says, and daily people were added to their number. Is it any wonder folks wanted to join a church like that? Because people were sacrificing themselves in love for the people that were there in that church with them together. Wow. That's very special, isn't it? This sacrificial love, as Paul is talking about, a genuine love, one for the other. It's it's pretty powerful to see that being acted out when folks will live sacrificially and give to each other. Now, we've got to understand the context to which Paul is writing. You see, the churches in the New Testament weren't great big organizations. They, they were little house churches, really. They were very intimate one with each, with each other. You know, Paul uh, wrote to the church at Rome, and, the, and we read at the end of the, of, the, of the book there, he's talking to individuals there, make sure that they got along with each other. And oftentimes there are these little cluster house churches, and they would gather together in uh, some rich person's house for a big gathering of worship. You see, there was an intimacy there. They knew each other, and that's why they could care for each other. And as we know, sometimes, as we'll talk about in a minute, when you're in a small intimate group, there can be some difficulties too, right? The early Methodists picked up on this. When the Methodist movement started, there was this large gathering, which we would call a worship service, and they called it a society meeting. But they would gather during the week in places that they would call class meetings or band meetings where they would mutually care for each other. They would share concerns with each other. They would hold each other up in love. That's why 
It's so important in congregations like ours that we have places where people can go in smaller bodies to know each other and to care for each other, to share with one another. That's why Sunday school is so important. That's why the, the, these community groups that we have and that, uh, are so important. That's why the work that Jeff and his team are developing about uh, spiritual formation and discipleship will be so important so that we can truly know one another and care for one another and support one another. So you see... To be genuine in love, we've got to know each other, right? We've got to know each other. And sometimes loving one another, well, it's kind of hard. It's kind of inconvenient. It takes some effort, doesn't it, to be genuine in agape love. My uh, preaching professor uh, was Fred Craddock. Some of you all who are familiar with um, homiletics, that's a fancy term for preaching, have heard of him. He was one of the best preachers in all the English language. I was very blessed to have him as my professor. And uh, those of you who are here now are being blessed by Fred Craddock uh, because he influenced my preaching style greatly. And Fred, in one of his, his lessons, talks about or teaches us, uh, he says, you know, there's this preacher and after church, he was closing up the building. Now, uh, this is like a church I served a long time. You know, the preacher has to close up the building afterwards. We weren't blessed to have a mic around. And so he's closing up the building, and he's going into the choir room, and there's a woman sitting down in the choir room, and she's crying. And naturally, being the pastor and having that caring heart, he sits down by her and says, hey, what's going on? What's, what's happened in your life? And, and, uh, and she starts to talk about all the things that are troubling her, she, all the things that are, are bothering her in her life and uh, the struggles she's going through, the hardships she's dealing with. And then she says this, you know, the worst part about it, the worst part about it is that there is no one in this church that will really care about me, that will give me a helping hand, that will listen to me, that will support me in this time of need. There's no one. And the pastor said, oh, I'm sure there's somebody. I'm sure there's somebody that, that we can get to listen to you, someone that will care for you, someone that will support you during this rough time. And she said, who? Who is that person? Who is that person that will listen to me? Who is that person that's going to take time for me? Who is that person that's going to support me? And then Fred closed out that message by answering, by asking this question to the congregation to which he's preaching. Could I give her your name? If for some reason Mike didn't show up on Sunday and I was having to close up and I was back in the choir room and there was a woman back there crying at this very moment and saying all the things that that woman, that story Fred told, was telling to me. And she asked, who would care for me? Who would support me? Who would listen to me? Could I give her your name. See, that's what genuine love is all about. It's a love that will support and care and nurture one another in times of hardship and strife. We're all familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, I think. I won't tell it all now, but we oftentimes think about it as, you know, this man seeing 
person broken down on the roadway and he stops to help. And, or in our, our context, seeing a homeless person in the grocery store parking lot asking for food and, and we, we stop to do something. That, that's all very legitimate. But the question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers the question by, or the lawyer answers his own question by saying, the one who provided for that person in need. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Because you see, our neighbor, more often than not, isn't the person that's broke down on the side of the road or the homeless person. It's us here. And it sometimes is mighty inconvenient to take time to help out the person in the pew that's broken down in their life. That's genuine love. That's what Paul is talking about. And it's hard, y'all. It's hard. Because sometimes we don't want to love, right? Sometimes people are hard to love. That's why going back to the earlier part of the chapter, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't do this on our own. We have to have our minds and hearts focused in on God. To love as God loves, we have to get God's help and have the mind of Christ in our own lives so that we can be transformed and it takes a while to become the people that are willingly, genuinely loving first with each other and then the world all around us. Wow. That's genuine agape, sacrificial love. Paul, you know, says all sorts of things in this, in these verses, but as I said, I'm just focusing in on those things that relate to love. He, he talks about, uh, have this mutual affection for one another. He uses two words that are never combined again in the New Testament. He uses this word storge filio. He, it is a familiar love mixed with a friendship love, turning your friendship into family. He's saying the church should feel like a family. The church should be a place where that we may not have family in other places, but we have family right here and right now. Y'all remember the Olive Garden commercial? Remember that? And what, what, what was the, their slogan? Your family here. You know, your family here. Well, if you're a family in a restaurant where they serve semi-good Italian food, you certainly should, sorry, Olive Garden, uh, you certainly should be family in this place you come to here week after week, fellowshipping with people week after week, offering your lives and service and each other week after week. Like the old Sister Sledge song, we are family. That should be our theme. I got them. No, we won't start dancing right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there, sing it. Yeah, close out, man. We are family. Okay. Yeah, we're family here. You know, Jesus, when asked who's his family, he said, it's those who follow me and do the will of God. And so we who claim to follow Jesus Christ and seek to do God's will, well, we're family. And in a place like Boone, North Carolina, people need family. You know, there are some folks that have grown up here all their lives, 
You know, they've settled here. They got kinfolk here. Their kids have stayed here. But that is the minority. There are folks that have come up to Appalachia State and they've stayed here. And and they have some kids that may have stayed here, but a lot of them moved away. But a lot of people are like this Alabamian that has come here. We've moved here because it's a beautiful place and jobs have brought us here. But we don't have family around us, do we? We are family. That's why we need each other. In our mobile society, we need a place where we are family here. That's what the church is to be. That's why love should be genuine in this place. Because we're family. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's mighty inconvenient. But we're family. Let our love be genuine. Hold each other up in mutual affection for one another. Familial love. I served a church. I've served several churches. But I served a church that had a wonderful Sunday school class that, well, they were family. And in that class, a fellow named Irby was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I remember he, he was in the choir room. A lot of good conversations can happen in the choir room. Um, so maybe if you want to join the choir, that might be something you ought to do. But yeah, yeah, I, I was in there and he was talking to me. And he said, Ed, you know, uh, uh, I want this to be a blessing to others. So if you know somebody that's going through a tough time, well, let me share with them uh, what I'm dealing with and how I'm dealing with it. Well, Irby didn't realize how his condition was going to be a blessing for that Sunday school class because Irby got to a point where he couldn't get out. So that Sunday school class said, you know what we're going to do every Sunday? We're going to have Sunday school at Irby's house. And they went in person and had Sunday school in his house. And they gathered around him and talked with him and, and prayed with him. And they shared the lesson together. And they took casseroles. That's what good Southern people do. They took frozen casseroles and they provided food for the week so that Irby and his wife would have plenty to eat. And when Irby died, well, who was his family that was there at his bedside? The Sunday school class. That's family, y'all. That's what it means to have genuine love, to have mutual affection, one for another. Wow. It's pretty good stuff, isn't it? That we love each other so much, that we become family for each other, that, you know, we're not left abandoned in our times of need, and we celebrate in our times of joy together. And love like that, well, we just can't keep it to ourselves. We, we have to share it out there in the world, particularly as Paul's talking about with those that are giving us a hard time. You know, he, he talks about uh, people that are persecuting them, that cursing them. And, and how should we respond to that? Well, the Apostle Paul uh, says this. He says, if your enemy, if the person that you disagree with is hungry, you give them some food. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. And then heaps of coal will be piled on their head. You know, and there's some of us that think, you know what, I'm going to act like I really care about that person that's doing me wrong, that's speaking badly to me or that I disagree with. Because as I act like that, then God's going to see that and he's really going to bring down judgment on those people. That's not what the point 
of the lesson is, Paul is quoting Proverbs 25, where the, the writer of Proverbs says those very same things. And what the writer of Proverbs is doing is connecting with wisdom literature that's throughout the ancient Middle East, where when you are piling coals of uh, uh, hot coals on someone's head, it's a metaphor that you are changing their mind. That your good works are causing them in humility and causing them to see the error of their ways and they become in re- relationship with you. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's writing about. And letting room for the wrath of God work, what does that mean? Well, who's taken on the wrath of God for all humanity? Jesus. You see, this great love that Paul's talking about is, as he says, working so that good overcomes evil. Martin Luther King put it this way, you don't cast out darkness with dark, only light can dispel darkness, and you don't overcome evil with, or hatred with hate, you overcome hatred with love. That's what it's all about is even with those to whom we have hard times, our first step is always a loving step. Offering love in practical ways. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Biden took Putin a cake? (laughs) (laughs) And Putin gave him some Russian tea, I mean, and then they started their conversations that way. I mean, how would the conversation change and be so much different? You know, I, I, Jay Vincent, great guy, shared with me this wonderful video on YouTube. I, I encourage you to look at it. It's The Caravan of Love by Isley, Jasper and Isley. And it shares in there in that uh, old disco song, and you, you can laugh at the big hair and the big tube socks and the short shorts that the guys are wearing. Uh, but the message is beautiful because it starts out in the video, these diplomats at the UN arguing with each other. And they're, they're fighting and fussing and, and not agreeing with each other. And then the, you hear the music playing, join the caravan of love. And, and the kids hear the music and they go and start the singing and they grab the diplomats and grab the, the leaders that had been arguing and bickering. And they join in the song together as a sign and a symbol that if our first step is a step of joining together in love, seeing that we have far much more in common as humans than we do differences, then how the conversation and the tone changes, right? So whenever we have disagreements, and I hear tell that sometimes uh, churches have those, well, we start first and foremost by expressing love. And then we go from there. And it changes everything, doesn't it? When we start everything with a step of love. Remind you, gents, it's Valentine's weekend. So, you know, it's not too late. You know, Walmart still has flowers. Uh, they, they might be wilted by now, but you, you, can, you st- can still go there. But I close by telling a story of, of romance. You know, it's kind of interesting how I've gotten to appreciate uh, Yale uh, more lately. 
Uh, it's, I hear it's a pretty good school for those of you that don't know. My, our daughter went there. So, I mean, I, I've kind of gotten interested in it. And it, it I've heard it, that, you know, it, they teach some good things there. And there's a professor that was a, a leader in the School of Medicine, Richard Seltzer. He taught surgery there, but he also is a great writer. So he taught in the School of Creative Writing. And in his book, A Mortal Lesson, Mortal uh, Lessons, lessons from the Art of Surgery. He gives an essay in there where he talks about going into a room of a young woman on whom he had performed surgery. And unfortunately, she had a tumor that was in her, in her face. And in the process of doing the surgery, he had to cut a nerve that would cause her no, to have one side of her face that was looking like it had palsy. And he goes into the room and he, he says, I go in there, see this clownish, palsy-faced woman whom I have made. And standing there by her bedside is her husband. And I look at them and I'm amazed. And as I know I'm on holy ground, there they sit, drinking in each other's love. And I know that this is a special time. The woman looks up and says, why well, always be that way? And he's, the surgeon, Dr. Seltzer, answers, yes, yes, I had to cut the nerve to remove the tumor to save your life. And she's kind of silent, but the husband said, I like it. It's kind of cute, like you. And then Richard Seltzer bows his head as he watches this husband bend over to kiss his wife and he is close enough to realize and to see that this husband twists his lips to accommodate her lips to make her realize that their kiss and passion still works. You know, that's what agape sacrificial love is all about. We accommodate ourselves so that others will know that they are loved. Just like God in Jesus Christ accommodated himself so that you, no matter who you are, what you've done, or where you're at, will know that you are loved. May we go love each other and love the world in the name of this God who genuinely loves you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.